Oliver Stone is one of the most acclaimed filmmakers of our generation. In 1991, Stone released the cinematic feature JFK, which dismantled the government's official story of the Kennedy assassination. The enormous public reception led to a major piece of legislation, the JFK Records Act of 1993. Through the release of these files, researchers have been able to piece together more of the story, which only raises more questions. This is the subject of Oliver Stone and James D. Eugenio's new documentary film called JFK Revisited, Through the Looking Glass. The flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died some 38 minutes ago. Here is the suspect, 24-year-old Lee H. Oswald. I'm just a president. Who actually fired the shots that killed Kennedy? Was there a conspiracy? I sat down with Oliver Stone to talk about his JFK films, the historical significance of the JFK assassination, and American foreign policy today. This episode was filmed for a special joint production with Aaron Good's American Exception podcast. Oliver, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Well, it's an honor too for me. Your entire filmmaking career has always hit on extremely important political issues. You've chosen to do two films about the JFK assassination. Why does JFK have the same political importance as these other topics? I'm not, I don't consider myself that documentary filmmaker that, let's say, Emil D'Antonio used to be back in the old days, you know, serious uh, documentarian. No, I've stumbled onto these things. I've, I've had to grow because I was started, my father was a conservative and I grew up that way. So it took me time to figure out my path in this world. Uh, obviously, the Vietnam War had a lot to do with it, but, you know, learning things as I went. So I was hardly where I am now, where I was when I started. So it's been growth in all these things, I have to say. It's really important to understand that. I didn't really start doing documentaries until 2001, when I did the Castro documentary. Before 2000, no, I was doing features. And I still love features, but not always. Uh, and also they're more complicated and more expensive to make. Documentaries allow you to speak more directly to the issue. So that said, uh, the JFK case came up in 1988, uh, 89, when I was making Born on the Fourth of July, and I met a very interesting woman called Elaine Ray, who ran Sheridan Square Press. She had known Jim Garrison very well and had been at the trial. She'd been a big supporter of the trial back in New Orleans in 69 and uh, gave me this book that Jim had written called On the Trail of the Assassins. And it was about his journey into this case in New Orleans. He was a the district attorney of, of uh, New Orleans Parish. I wasn't really knowledgeable about the, ca the case until I read the book and then started to do some research. I met with Jim. I met with which was quite interesting. He opened up a whole world to me, and then I met with Fletcher Prouty, who had been an Air Force officer, had been working with the CIA for many years since World War II. So then from there, it was down the rabbit hole. Read the book, optioned it, made my uh, Born on the Fourth of July, very interested in it, went back to New Orleans, started doing more and more reading, and read a lot, and I said, this is a great idea, this is a movie. This is like, a chance to do, my, one of my favorites was Z by uh, 
Costa Gavras in France, and he was a Greek filmmaker, but it's about the Greek coup d'etat of the 60s. And I said, we can do it like somewhat like that. We can, it would be a revelation. You would start with Dealey Plaza. You'd see the surface of events like it was reported, the conventional approach. And then as you dug deeper, it becomes deconstructed. And that was a perfect movie for me. It was like I'm peeling an onion. But this is a much larger story. And I was, I was saying I started on a smaller level. This was about a New Orleans story, a prosecutor going after the only prosecutor in the United States who brought charges in the Kennedy case. It's very important because it established at least a beginning of something. On March 1st, 1967, the first arrest has been made in the investigation of the New Orleans District Attorney's Office into the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Arrested this evening in the District Attorney's Office was Clay Shaw. Mr. Shaw will be charged with participation in a conspiracy to murder John F. Kennedy. You know, I mean, assassination sometimes is limited in its political scope, but there was a much bigger story here, and, and Garrison knew it and found out about it. And that's where we wrote the scene where he meets Donald Sutherland in Washington, D.C. Sutherland is based on, basically on, on, on Prouty, who tells him the story of his experience and what he thinks happened that day. And it was definitely, the, the president is removed for political reasons, very important political reasons, because he's changing things, which is not really evident to the American public at that time, nor is it evident to Jim Garrison. This takes time. You have to study the history. You have to study what he was doing. You have to study the foreign policy. And that makes it a much bigger story and a much more interesting story. In the movie, Kevin Costner, who plays Jim Garrison, turns to the Donald Sutherland says, this is much bigger than I thought. I can't handle this. And it's true. He wasn't prepared to handle this case. Five different departments of the CIA were on Garrison. It's quite a story. They put informers into his office. They, put, they wiretapped him. All his subpoenas out of state were killed. I mean, there was quite a it's conspiracy against Garrison. They, they went after him, and they completely ridiculed him. Uh, but he went ahead with the case. Grand jury believed him. Grand jury is serious. And uh, the case, the, the trial fell apart in the sense that he didn't have enough evidence. But he proved certain things in the case, and that was very important, actually. I know that you followed the conventional wisdom about the JFK assassination until around 88. But as a young man, how did that impact you? I mean, politically, I mean, seeing the president of the United States assassinated, seeing RFK assassinated, and then this slew oh, of political man, assassinations. I mean, that Listen, must have impacted you. In the as, 60s, we were yeah. all shocked. I mean, it was, it was just shocking, that's all. We didn't make sense of it. Our leaders were cut down, but we didn't really put it all together. Nobody ran the, the dots between the lines between John, John Kennedy and Martin Luther King or Robert Kennedy. We didn't make the, we didn't make the connections. Now, I think we can make those connections because they're important to make. But then, no. We were, I was just reacting like everyone else. And then, of course, I went to Vietnam as a soldier, came back. I didn't even connect the Vietnam War to the death of Kennedy. That's very important. The, the narrative at the time was that Lyndon Johnson took power and continued the policies of Kennedy. That is, a, that is nonsense, rubbish. That is absolutely not true, except for civil rights. Johnson completely changed every foreign policy in every country that Kennedy was working with. Kennedy was trying to change things, but we didn't know what Kennedy was up to because he was a charismatic president, spoke very well, but we really didn't know what was going on behind the scenes, you know. 
And I brought, I brought many of these issues up in the film. I brought up the Vietnam issue. I brought up Cuba issue. I brought up the Russia issue. But I didn't deal with Africa. I didn't deal with Indonesia. I didn't deal with Latin America. There was a lot of other things that Kennedy was doing, which we found out in the course of making this JFK revisited through the looking glass. Well, it's been 30 years since you released JFK. It was a huge commercial and critical success. People were hungry for the truth, clearly. They wanted something like this. They wanted an entry point to, to know that this was the alternative narrative that made sense, right? There was a deep distrust of the mainstream narrative. But despite this amazing reception, there were papers like the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, months prior to the film's release, they were already excoriating it in the press. Yeah. How did your position change in the legacy media after JFK? Big question. I, I had no idea what I was getting into. I thought the case was over at the beginning. I thought it was over and it was done with, and that I was going into ancient history here, and I was bringing up that it didn't make any sense. The Warren Commission was a fraud. It was, had a set scenario that three bullets, one gunman, and it had to stick to that story. It didn't make sense. It was completely illogical, and I'm, to this day, I'm shocked that the American, the elite American, went with that story. They even John, everybody was uneasy with that story, and that's the truth. People don't know that. Lyndon Johnson himself said, "Yeah, I'm not, I don't believe uh, the magic bullet theory." He was, he he had many doubts, but so did Robert Kennedy, Jackie Kennedy. Jackie Kennedy made a message to Khrushchev about, "Don't think that this was." A Russian agent that shot Kennedy. This was done by a right-wing cabal in the United States. That's what they were saying. And uh, other people, De Gaulle, Charles De Gaulle, all these people were experienced in world affairs. They didn't buy that story. Neither did Nasser in Egypt, Sukarno in Indonesia, Castro. and Castro in Cuba. They, Castro had almost been assassinated a dozen <laughs> times more by the CIA. So he, he knew what was going on and knew that his plan for possible uh, reconciliation with the United States was dead, dead in the water. Same was true about the, Nikita Khrushchev, the premier of Russia, cried. He cried when he went to the American embassy to pay his respects because he knew that all the plans that they had for detente were dead in the water. Johnson was a return to the days of Eisenhower and Dulles and Truman. Please remember that Roosevelt was a a big believer in detente also with, the, with, with Russia. He recognized Russia in 1933 when he became president. That was the first time American, American government had recognized a communist country. Yeah. And he got along with Stalin. He got along with them. And they had plans, you know. People say that, you know, Stalin was leading them along. No, Stalin genuinely liked uh, Roosevelt because he could deal. They were both canny politicians. And uh, after Roosevelt died so suddenly in 45, everything changed in American policy mm -hmm. against Russia. Well, they must have been terrified that Kennedy was going to be another Roosevelt, That's right? right. I mean, but at that time, you see, now it's shocking. You say, oh, it's impossible, you know, it's impossible to believe there would be a peace between Russia and the United States. This is after 60 years of uh, this, non, uh, this ridiculous foreign policy we have where we threat inflation of, of Russia, China, Iran. You know, we, we build up the, our enemies. Why? Because of, frankly, financial reasons. It's a huge boondoggle to the, uh, to the public, to the, uh, to the Pentagon. Well, it must have been so frustrating to see... And the intelligence see, agencies. It must have been so frustrating to see 
the accolades that JFK received, yet the corporate media... Oh, that's just a disgusting story. Undermining the film's message in such a way. You know, uh, we found out as later, of course, that uh, the CIA had people, assets in the media, a lot more than we ever knew or, or, or at that time. It only came out in the 70s, and in, it continues to this day. There was, they, they were planted, and some of these newspapers, you have to think about who owns them and who, you know, some of them are they're owned by rich people. Rich media tends to bend towards the government, you know, cooperating with the government. You have to wonder, in the, because of all the things that have happened, and you're aware of it since the 1960s, some of these newspapers' assets in themselves, you know, like the Washington Post. I mean, some of the insane things that they've done and said. In New York Times itself, which used to be a, a fountain of so-called integrity, I, you have to have very serious doubts about because the New York Times has supported every war America's been in, including Vietnam and Korea. And since then, supported it. And then eventually maybe moved away from it after it didn't work out so well. And we don't have a free media. That's what, make, make, that's what the conclusion is. The only media that seems free right now, to me, that is open to the thought that Kennedy could have been killed by a conspiracy of, of gov run by the government are the people who are working like you who are working outside mainstream media. It really worries me. Uh, and the response to my film, uh, Revisited, JFK Revisited, total blackout. There's not one mention of it. It's they can't deal with the facts that we present in this documentary. The Warren Commission was run by, was not run by, but the major, most influential member was Alan Dulles, who was the head of the CIA, had been and had been fired by Kennedy, and he was appointed by Johnson to... to uh, to the commission, and he, he supervised, he was at every meeting, he, he, he supervised it pretty closely, and he made sure that the CIA never revealed anything of importance to the commission. It reminds me of Henry Kissinger being appointed to head the 9-11 commission. I mean, well, it just doesn't make worse. any sense. This, this is makes no sense. Kissinger never got there. The Dulles brothers always tended to go off on their own and mm -hmm. do what they wanted to do. And under Eisenhower, they, they achieved a power and independence that was unbelievable. Eisenhower did not really supervise the CIA during those 50s, 1950s years when that's when they grew powerful with the Iran coup, with the coup in uh, Guatemala, and also the, the secret attempts to remove uh, Sukarno in Indonesia. But they were everywhere in the world. Uh, it's very hard to imagine. Go back, 1945, Roosevelt dies. Right? This is a man who's trying to move towards a world situation, world peace after World War II. Four powers are going to run the world, basically. But the United Nations is going to be very important. This is 1945. By 1963, when Kennedy's killed, it's only like 18 years. 45, 55, 63. 18 years of an interregnum where the national security state takes over. We didn't have that before. All through our history. All of a sudden, it's a new world from 45 to 63, uh, building up uh, military weapons of war in peacetime, an army, keeping uh, the, nuclear, the nuclear mandate tightly under control, trying to deny any other country the, the right to nuclear so that we'd be the kingpin, which we were. So by 1963, it's only been in business 18 years. It's preparation for war state. Mm -hmm. national security, everything is an emergency. This is what really basically happened. America all of a sudden was running the world and deciding who's who and who's boss. We are the bully 
and we got bigger and bigger. 63, it was going to be over. He was going to go back to the Roosevelt way of doing business, which was a cooperative peace, as he said in his peace speech in 1963, a few, uh, three months before he died. What kind of a peace do I mean, and what kind of a peace do we seek? Not a Pax Americana, enforced on the world by American weapons of war. Not the peace of the grave or the security of the slave. I am talking about genuine peace, the kind of peace that makes life on earth worth living, the kind that enables men and nations to grow and to hope and build a better life for their children. Not merely peace for Americans, but peace for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, but peace in all time. I speak of peace, therefore, as the necessary rational end of rational men. I realize the pursuit of peace is not as dramatic as the pursuit of war, and frequently the words of the pursuers fall on deaf ears, but we have no more urgent task. He pays homage to the Russians, how many people they lost in World War II, and he says they are like us. Uh, they have lost half their country. I mean, that was enormous below World War II. They won World War II, basically. Mm -hmm. And they, they broke the German war machine. After that, uh, he was, Kennedy said, you know, we are all mortal. We love our children. Mm -hmm. We drink the same water. We breathe the same air. We are mortal. He understood that. That was a man of compassion because he'd been in war. Like Roosevelt, that's why I find him remarkable. Like Roosevelt, in, in the sense that, in the sense that he understood war and the danger of war, and he was no war lover. He'd been there. He, he constantly he said, "War is not inevitable." He used to say that. Peace, peace. He was pushing peace. And he, now he disappears in '63. Johnson takes over. Within a year, we're sending combat troops. He, he only had advisors there. Right. Combat troops to Vietnam. Five hundred uh, within two years, five hundred thousand troops are there. Johnson is into a war right away, and it's a miracle we didn't go to war with Cuba because that's what the Pentagon wanted. Set off just the reason chain Kennedy of was killed. Yeah, basically, I'm just jumping around here, but the reason and I believe that he was killed was that he refused to go to war twice in Cuba. That's really the reason. People say that it was Vietnam. No, Vietnam was still out there. The problem was that Kennedy inherited Berlin, the Berlin situation, the wall. He built the wall. He said the wall is better than a war. At this moment in Guatemala, a Cuban exile army is being created by the CIA. A Cuban exile air force with B-26 bombers. They are the instruments with which the CIA plans to overthrow Fidel Castro. In less than 72 hours, Castro has destroyed the brigade. The American plan, trained and backed invasion of Cuba, is now a total failure. In Cuba, Bay of Pigs, he did not back. Uh, Dulles was counting on him sending troops to support the invasion he, because they had been pinned down on the beach. So he expected, like Eisenhower would do, that Kennedy would come in. Kennedy said no, and he told him in advance he wouldn't do it. 
It was just a botched invasion. Ridiculous. He said he didn't want any Americans getting into Cuba and, taking, and then we'd be considered the bad guy again. He was very aware of that. He wanted a new regime. He wanted a clean slate. America is no longer what you think it is. We're not going to be, go around overthrowing regimes, intervening in countries. That's out. And he stuck to that. And they hated him for it. They started to hate him for it, the Cubans especially. That's Cuban. a big deal in the middle of the Cold War to make deal. such statements like that. But then that. it gets even bigger deal because in 1962, a year later, a year and a half later, we have the Cuban Missile Crisis mm -hmm. in October 62. And again, he gets the maximum pressure from his chiefs of staff and from his military leaders and the CIA and from the older people around him. Let's call it the older statesmen like Dean Acheson. Secretary of State, even, uh, even uh, Eisenhower tells him to go into Cuba now. And I can understand these people are thinking in World War II terms, you know, like this, we cannot allow communists to be on our shore, off our shores. Kennedy says, throughout this crisis, we are not invading, we are not attacking. We are going to try to solve this thing because otherwise it's going to lead to a major major Armageddon. It'll be Cuba, and then it'll be Russia, and then it'll be us in Berlin, and then it grew as big as we're going to go into China, because the Pentagon had a plan. Yeah, yeah, to nuke China. To I nuke mean, this, China. This was... All this came to being. This was Eisenhower plan. Yeah. All this came into being in 1963, 62, uh, in October. Yeah. It was a scary moment. Averting potential nuclear Armageddon staving off the military-industrial complex that was pressuring him to add troops totally. to Cuba, the Bay of Pigs. I mean, that, that, that is a really important force that you are resisting. People don't right? understand that still. They don't understand how close it came. I think that was right. his death warrant right. when he refused attacking Cuba in 62. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't do it. Right. And he, they knew he wouldn't do it because he really stuck to his guts on that. That took tremendous amount of courage on his part, because he was alone there with his brother, Robert, right. and uh, he didn't have much support. And uh, his brother and him solved the case they, they, with Khrushchev directly. Those two were both were responsible for saving basically the world from going to war. Both were removed within a year. Kennedy says, if I won't go into Cuba, which is 90 miles away, why would I go into Vietnam? <laughs> which is 6,000 miles away. And he stuck to that logic basically throughout. And we, in our documentary, have gone back and uh, we, we, uh, the Assassination Records Review Board has done more work, declassification of files, including a very important meeting in April of 1963 uh, when McNamara is in Hawaii. He tells the generals there that we are coming out of Vietnam, win, basically win or lose. We have to go faster, he says. Now, that's a very important point because people dispute that. They say, right. Oh. Historians have disputed that after JFK came out, there was a lot of dissent saying yes, that that was that not is... true. But that was, you were vindicated later on with, with well, the documents. No I mean, more this and more was about proven. it because McNamara wrote a book about yeah. it after my film. Right. Where and he even, said, we even, were coming out win or lose. McGeorge Bundy later on wrote another book. He was the national security advisor. He was a hawk. And he said Kennedy was pulling out. But, you know, I had a lot of advice from people like Fletcher Prouty, the people who were involved in these decisions. And they were around the case. And yeah. I talked to a lot of military people. They know what was going on. You can't hide that. This was a draft. It was written, prepared, everything put out. And then it was redrafted. 
And then they wouldn't go with that redraft. John, that was when he was killed, and Johnson put out another draft called 273, National Security Action Memorandum 273, and it changes the rules by which we are allowed to attack North Vietnam with our Air Force, and we did that. Uh, we led to the Bay of, P- Bay of Pigs. Uh, I mean, it Tonkin. led to the Gulf of Tonkin. Well, the Con- Tonkin resolution. resolution, the fact that it was written up prior to even the alleged attack, uh, I think really speaks volumes. We, we brought so much more evidence to this, but the truth is that it was Cuba that was the reason he was killed. That was set in motion, the, the plot. Set it in motion. And Vietnam was an exacerbation of it. But he hadn't wanted to... He did the same thing in Laos in 1961. Eisenhower told him, go into Laos, because there was a civil war brewing there. And he, he made it... He, he, he opted for a neutral solution. So yeah. he was not a warmonger. He was the contrary. And in everywhere you look, with Nasser, he was trying to make a deal. And he wanted the Middle East to cool out. Nasser loved him. Nasser loved him. He was the first American president, maybe, I don't know about Roosevelt, but basically to reach out to the Arabs and, and, and say the Palestinians, for example, in the homeland of Palestine, he, he wanted the Palestinians to have, maybe he was being an idealist, but he wanted the Palestinians to have a choice, whether they want to be repatriated to their homeland or whether they want to be relocated abroad. As you know, uh, the Israel was building up at that time. Ben-Gurion was their prime minister, and they, they were starting to uh, build up a nuclear, their, their, nuclear, their, atomic, uh, their atomic bomb, and they started building one. He heard about it, and he was very adamant about it. He told Ben-Gurion twice, I believe, not to do this, to stop, otherwise he was going to cut off all the aid. It was very serious. Ben-Gurion was shocked. No American president had ever done this with, with them. They'd gotten their, what they wanted from the beginning with Truman and Eisenhower. So what happened? Kennedy cut off any help, technical help we were giving them. But then when he was killed, it stopped. And Johnson not only continued giving them what they wanted, and they built up themselves up into an atomic power by 1967, when he, they actually came online as a nuclear power, Johnson didn't even reveal it to the American public. He, he buried it. He didn't want that story to get well, out. It's still buried today. So we I never mean, heard about it until years later, if you remember correctly. They still when did don't Israel even admit this, it. They don't did, even admit it. Yeah, well, that's, when did Israel get this bomb? You know, we, we, we never really it's knew. incredible. You know, JFK had the unique distinction, of course, of having a real historical impact. Leading to the JFK Records Act, I, I think it was the first time that a film has ever led to actual legislation. It's very cool to see you actually testifying at Congress. The American people were tired of the possibility of war, scared of it. It was better to keep this in the closet and find Oswald to be the lone assassin and let the story end there. And I think that President Johnson not only told this to Justice Warren, I think he used this uh, very uh, palpable excuse uh, in talking not only to Justice Warren, but to the major newspapers of the time. Because there was a, an appalling lack of investigation on the part of uh, New York Times, Washington Post, Time Magazine, and Newsweek Magazine, and CBS News, and NBC News, to investigate this matter. The answer is to adopt H.J. Res 454, and to allow the American people full access to all of the information concerning this tragic event. I do want to commend you, Mr. Stone, for bringing the uh, problem to the attention of the American people. Did you have any inkling that it would 
result in such a real life impact. You have to understand I was younger <laughs> and sometimes you don't wake up to everything that's going on. I mean, I was over my head in the sense that I was being attacked left and right. So it took guts to go there and to Congress and to actually, because I knew they hated me for causing this stir, but at the same time they had to answer to the public by saying, okay, we got to deal with this nutcase. We're going <laughs> to do this investigation uh, and then he'll go away. But I didn't go away because a lot of researchers were around me and they're the guys who did the work, not me. I'm not a researcher. They were going through the documents that were coming out and they went through all these documents they put out, a, a, oh, I forgot how many documents, I think they got 60,000. Jesus, and they were trying to keep them until 2039, documents. 75 years. Well, that was originally, the reason, it, at the end of our film, we put a, a tag saying when, this, when you can see these files from the, from the House Select Assassinations Committee. That was the second investigation, the second serious one, HSCA. That was done in 1978. Uh, and it was a serious investigation that was derailed. It's a fascinating story. I don't want to go into too much detail, but a lot of what they did was classified. They came to the conclusion that there had been a conspiracy. Basically, they came to that conclusion, but it was buried in the files that we were never to see until 2039. So that was what we put in as a tag, not expecting any results because there had been no results for years. The government stonewalled the whole thing. Sure enough, uh, that got a lot of attention and it continued. So that became... We, we threw out all these hooks, and that was one of the hooks that stuck. And over the years, the assassination community went through these documents, and there's a lot there. Never reported. The media didn't report it correctly. The Northwoods operation was reported. That was the only thing, I think, that came out in the media, one of the few things. But, you know, it's hard when you do You need to be paying attention to the details. You have to be Sherlock Holmes here. You got a lot of little details. It's the aggregation of the details that make a difference in a murder case. Holmes, uh, Sherlock would have understood that, and all these things, elements come together to explain the assassination. It's not simple, but it, you can do it, and you can follow it, and they followed those documents, and that's what we put in the movie. Well, Our movie is the result of those documents, and that's why you have to pay attention to it. These documents are still out there, a lot of them are. Trump was pledging to release them. He kicked the can down to Biden. Biden blamed COVID and you know, said that, quote, temporary continued postponement is necessary to protect against identifiable harm to the military, defense, intelligence operations, law enforcement, or the conduct of foreign relations that is of such gravity that it outweighs the public interest in immediate disclosure. Comment on Biden and Trump refusing to do this and also what it could mean about what's in the documents. Well, first of all, it's illegal what they did. It was supposed to all come out, I think it was 2017. That was when Trump was supposed to free up everything. And he, he claimed that he would, but he didn't, because at the last second, he got pressure from somewhere, presumably the intelligence agencies, and he closed it down. And it went on. He broke the law, you know, basically. Yeah. And then it went on. But that's okay. The intelligence agency break the law all the time. <laughs> and uh, it went on into 2018. 19, and then when Biden came into office, who I thought might be a little more sympathetic to Kennedy because he's an Irish, Irish Catholic, but uh, we didn't hear anything uh, positive, and he, uh, he released some documents. I don't know what's in them, frankly, because that's going to take a little time. People are, at, are looking at them now. By the time they go through all these documents and scratch out everything or redact everything or else destroy everything, 
That's what I was just going to say. Why would they have a problem destroying any yeah, of the documents? I, I They've done this the whole time. They destroyed well, all the, the CIA, autopsies. The CIA is never cooperating with this investigation. Well, that's what's so fascinating about this is that the film is mostly based on the contradictions that have come out from the government's own documents, yeah. right? This is yeah. this is based on the questions that have arisen from in their own these documents. Yeah. So it's like, how could you write this off? This is, this is yeah. from the files. Yeah. It's a mess. The case is a mess because it was always, it was a... You know, they, they went by the standards of, like, it was a foreign, like, they pulled off an assassination the way they do in a foreign country, and they didn't think that they would be that big a deal. They wouldn't be tracked down by all these nutcases out there who are looking at every document. They didn't think that way. The Zapruder film had to play a role in... What? The Zapruder film really that was contradicted another surprise. what they yeah. said, yeah. And that, too, has been uh, concealed from the public for a long time. Um, until 1975, when it was on Geraldo Rivera's show. Yeah. Garrison got it out for the trial, which was amazing, by the way. That was against all plans. They really, uh, and who knows what they cut out of the film, I don't know. But basically, it, it, there was enough in the film for us to claim in our movie that the, his, his head went back into the... You just see it with your own eyes. Back I mean, into it, the left. You don't have to be a genius yeah. to figure that out. I mean, that... shot came from the front, the kill shot. And they, they can, they've come off with every theory, including elephants dangling off the edge of a cliff. You know, you can, say, you can prove anything in physics by saying, ah, that's, that's a neuromuscular reaction, this, that, blah, blah, blah. It ain't so. This is basic infantry stuff. He was killed from the front and from the rear. And there was more than three shots because the, the single bullet doesn't work at all, as we tried to show. There was no chain of custody on it. The bullet's all fucked up. The FBI lied about it repeatedly. Don't forget that they can't prove that that was the rifle. It was another rifle. There's no fingerprints on it at all. It goes right up to the FBI expert who says that it, there's nothing on it. That's a, that's a fact, you know. And it comes back to... The, then they send it back to Dallas, and all of a sudden it comes back with, oh, there is a partial print. Who put that partial print on? I mean, that kind of shit happens. The eyewitnesses, what they saw, most of the people ran to the fence. Don't forget the autopsy. That's a farce. The brain is missing. Yeah, they said it looked like someone pushed his you brain know, and back all of a sudden, in. When and the, the, the autopsy at Bethesda reveals that it's an intact brain. Yeah. It's insane. And that means that something was doctor, somebody doctored that autopsy. And we prove that through a bunch of witnesses, including the photographer of the autopsy, who sees it in the, in the ARB meeting. And he says, that's not the photograph that I took. It's not even on the stock of film that I used. The forensics evidence that, that's outlined in the film is so overwhelming. But what I found the most compelling was the parallel assassination plot that was uncovered in both Tampa and Chicago. I mean, just, just briefly talk about why this is so meaningful to the case. He was going to go, they, they were going to kill Kennedy one way or the other in the fall. That was the idea. The election was coming up for 64, so it was time to, he, if he won that election, they were dead in the water because they knew that he would, they knew he would pursue these policies even more ferociously, more eagerly. And they were scared of him. They were scared of Robert Kennedy, who was also the attorney general. Uh, there was a lot of reasons. Uh, they didn't want this it would have been possibly a dynasty. They saw another Roosevelt. You see, they thinking in those terms. Roosevelt, nobody expected him to go four terms. So when you're looking at the Kennedy family with Joe Kennedy and all that, it's only been 18 years since Roosevelt died. You have to understand, it's just another time period. So they see the possibility of another dynasty. Robert will follow him and then maybe Ted 
Ted Kennedy will be the third Kennedy, but it's not good for them because it would move, the country would move in a completely new direction towards peace. Not going to happen. So uh, this is crucial that they get him in the fall. This is the time to get him. But basically in Chicago, early November, uh, there was a plot. There was the same kind of parade route uh, with a high building overlooking the, the uh, where he had to make a, the car had to make a turn. Same, same setup. They picked up, there was four, a landlady said there were four Cubans in an apartment close by with rifles. And they picked up two of them. The other two disappear. They let them go. They disappear. It's stupid. These are rifles, high-powered rifles they have in this apartment. Two, four Cubans, two of them they pick up. We don't even know what happens to them. And then they pick up another guy who was supposed to be the Lee Harvey Oswald of the deal. That was uh, Thomas Valley. He was a same, same profile as Oswald, was a Marine in Japan at the, one of the air bases there. They'd pin it on him the same way they'd pin it on Oswald. He felt the profile. That it, I think they were doing this. I think they were thinking that we're going to get the shooter, the Patsy, whoever, his name, whoever he is, he's going to be pro-Cuban leftists. So there would be more reason yeah. to go and attack Cuba. You understand? The idea was if their plan worked, Cuba would take the blame. In Chicago, yeah. Kennedy cancels uh, the, right. the, the, the uh, Chicago trip and moves into, uh, but he does go on the Tampa trip later. And that's a motorcade, same thing, 20 miles or something, big to office building. And they have a Cuban shooter there, uh, Lopez, Gilberto Lopez, I think his name was. And he ends up in, after he does, it doesn't go down, he takes the flight to Mexico and then Cuba. So he's another uh, similar patsy. There's been this enormous rehabilitation campaign for the CIA today. Ugh. They have rebranded themselves, especially during the Trump era. How does it feel as someone who has documented so thoroughly the CIA's crimes to see them elevated as a selfless public it's servant nonsense. agency? It's, it's, it's depressing to be around liberals. Uh, <laughs> I think it needs to be renamed. The liberals have fallen into this Russiagate uh, again, it's like the old days, you know, everything, blame everything on Russia, you know. Russiagate was a sham, and it should have been seen as a sham right away because there was just no evidence. And then they went after Assange, who I yeah. think is a hero, and they it's went perfect. after him because they say he was involved with the Russians. Yeah. So all, everything, the whole narrative was screwed up, as it would be in the Kennedy days. But if you see through it, through history, you see that this is Hillary Clinton covering her tracks. She was horrified by this loss to Donald Trump, the reason being, of course, the, all the problems the Democrats have communicating. And she loses to Trump, and she's a, she has to blame it on somebody. She can't take the blame herself. <laughs> it's so. mortifying, right? I mean, she had to, she so had to do obviously, it. Obviously, what's the first thing she thinks yeah. of? Russia. Yeah. Or one of her people thinks yeah. of it, and they blame it, and they get away with it. I mean, you were blamed by Rolling Stone that the JFK conspiracy was yeah, basically yeah, concocted yeah, yeah. by a Russian disinformation campaign. It is... It is ludicrous the alternate reality that these people are living in, but these same liberals who push the sanitization of the CIA will also say, the CIA doesn't do that anymore. They, oh, don't, they don't conduct assassinations. They don't, they don't do coups, Oliver. And also, JFK conspiracy can't be true because they would never do that on American soil. They would never commit oh, heinous, awesome. What makes America crime? so special? <laughs> well, that's silly, that's silly thinking, because it's not historical. Conspiracies have existed since the beginning of time in every country goes on and on and on. And, you know, you have to accept that. It's the way it is. Go read your history. People get killed. People are murdered. People change. Governments change. Power is the goal. Power. 
It's, it's the greatest lure of all, bigger than money. Well, especially because Operation Northwoods was revealed with the JFK Records Act, and it revealed a false flag operation that was being proposed, which is mocked relentlessly the idea of conspiracies in the U.S. media. Meanwhile, they accuse Putin of bombing his own apartment buildings. They accuse yes. them of concocting a false flag to invade Ukraine right now. They yes. are calling for preemptive strikes on Ukraine right now. What lessons can we glean from JFK today with what we're seeing? Come full circle, Oliver. We're in the middle of Cold War 2.0. Exactly. Exactly. Except they're not communists. They're, they're capitalists. <laughs> and it's no longer the Soviet Union. It's Russia. So it's, it's continuing. It's, it's maybe it's about money in the end that they have to keep this thing going. They need uh, an enemy. They have to build up this enemy. China, Russia, Iran, Venezuela, uh, Cuba. It, it doesn't end. I mean, Syria. There's all kinds of false flags have been planted for years now, and it's just it's getting stupider and stupider, and it gets really, as you say, it's very scary right now, Ukraine. I've been following that situation since 2014, and it's scary beyond belief because it's so irrational what we're doing. Uh, for example, we've been saying that Russia is going to invade Ukraine for about three months now, building it up in the media like it's like a build-up, a campaign for an advertising, ignoring completely the, the Ukrainian on the ground situation, which is that the Ukrainian army is on the border of a autonomous, what would like to be an autonomous republic inside Ukraine. These people are Russian people. They're born. They speak the Russian language. They've, their loyalty is to Russia, and it's been that way for forever since World War II. They were robbed of their democracy when the, uh, when the American uh, protests at Maidan Square happened. They, you know what happened. The Americans came in, supported the bill, put $5 billion into Ukraine, and created this demonstration, this monstrosity, with a lot of false information that the uh, president of Ukraine was a, was a thief and a bum. And he, had to, he agreed to go to early elections, and uh, it was ignored in, in the media. And now here we are in a situation where we replaced him on a coup d'etat and we put a guy in who'd had no, uh, he was not, he no standing among the, in the eastern, eastern part of Ukraine. They didn't want him. So it's not, a, it wasn't a democracy anymore. It turned out they'd been elected. The original guy had been elected. Now they have a, a counterfeit leader. They don't believe in him. But Ukraine, no one I mean, tells no you one. that they were killed. A lot of people were right. murdered when that coup happened. The, they were burned to death in, uh, in uh, Odessa. Yeah. They burned the, uh, the uh, and who burned them? A lot of them were neo-Nazis. We find that out. They, we find that a large portion of the military situation, in, of the military of the Ukrainian army is uh, fascist. It's insane when you look at the imperial arrogance of the United States to look at a country bordering with Russia and say, we need to do something about that. Because I mean, we, I control just can't. The, we control the narrative. It, it's unbelievable. You know, there's this deep-seated distrust in our institutions, obviously. Be. This has originated, I think, and proliferated, obviously, since the JFK yeah, assassination. Well, you mentioned you one thing very important. Iraq I just want to mention the Northwoods operation. Yeah. Remember, that was a plan to destabilize Cuba, to invade Cuba also, concocted yeah. by the Pentagon. It involved things like blowing up buildings in the United States, killing people. Killing Americans. Running, running an airplane into a building. 
running an airplane into a building. It goes yeah. back pre-2001. Pre yeah. And like you said, even though it was shot down, this is the first step to making things come true. When you write things down, it doesn't seem so ridiculous. Kennedy when you're making the, a policy prescription, all of a sudden it becomes feasible. Kennedy looked at the plan and laughed. He said, That's, he says, and we consider ourselves the human race. They're very dangerous. It's very dangerous. How do we deal with covert governance? Because you have this kind of cartoonish, mockable idea of the deep state that Trump popularized, but it was partisan. It wasn't real. It wasn't a fundamental understanding of what we're dealing with, what the real deep state is. Yeah. How can we even talk about this? How do we deal with this well, that's shadow what, That was Jim Garrison's problem. He said, you know, you can't win a trial a trial, an open trial, a democratic trial, you cannot win it in a covert state. They, they cheat, they steal, they use every method possible to deny and to deny that you cannot do it in a covert state. You have to understand the workings of an intelligence agency and that we try, we're trying, people like us, to try to bring out how they work. That's, I do it in my movies, you do it in your new shows, you know, and you're doing a good job at it. And that's, we have to keep trying. And, but I'm scared, too. You know, the intelligence agent might be fed up with me now. You know, <laughs> oh, God, this guy Stone's getting too much. Uh, he's our fly in the ointment. But they got people like you to the take, may, take my place. Well, they like delegitimizing people instead of taking them out. Yeah, now. well, that's, they, that's their yeah, modus we're operandi on the margins now. now. I can't believe we haven't gotten one review from a major media uh, publication on this film. One review. Mm -hmm. Editorials, but no, no reviews. Not one movie critic. Uh, not one television critic. The assassination community has done a tremendous amount of work. Nobody reports it. These are facts, though, not uh, made-up bullshit. No, <sighs> it, is, it is airtight. Everyone obviously should watch the movie. I know that, you know, one thing that was really powerful for me was just, it was really emotional to see JFK's speech bookend at the end of the yeah. film scene you know, yeah. seeing the footage that you guys showed and just imagining what if. Yeah. What if history took a different route? Well, there would have been no Vietnam War, I tell you that, that's for sure. And it would have been a whole other approach to the world affairs. I think we would have made a detente with Russia. We might be in a completely different situation, spending money on our real domestic needs, on our infrastructure and our health and welfare of our people. So that would have been too much for these people to handle. They, they want war. Because war makes money. You know, I, I, there was a strange thing that happened when, really people believe this, I went down to south of the border, it was a documentary I did in 2009. I was talking to the president of uh, Nestor, Nestor uh, Kirshner, president of Argentina, and he told me George Bush had, had met with him down there and had come into the room and, and they were talking about uh, the, uh, the Venezuela situation. And Bush actually said, war is good for the economy. War is good for the economy. <laughs> and he told the story. It's just amazing that he, he couldn't believe how stupid Bush was. But it's not good for the economy. It's a, it's a false belief. I, economists, when they look at it, really understand that and make it clear that it's no good. War is destructive. And it, not only is it morally wrong, but it's destructive. Well, and the notion that we need a covert intelligence force, right? Yeah. That This is embedded and baked in. To this yeah, idea of American like, exceptionalism. You're going to have a hard time getting away from that argument. Well, yeah. we need to abolish the CIA. That's a long time ago I said that, yeah. But uh, we're always going to have the... People are always going to want defense. I, I agree. Let, we, we need a defense. Uh, make it reasonable. Make it... 
Modify it. Modify it. The behavior has to be modified. If you're the biggest bully in the world, which we are, we scare people. You talk to people and what do they say? They say, well, if we weren't the biggest, the biggest on the block, China or Russia would be. Well, that's always what you hear. But you don't know it. You hear it. Because that's the justification for the bully to keep the terror going, to keep the fear going. So uh, at some point, you've got to say you can't keep building up. You ha the bully has to modify his behavior because he's so hated. That's what happens. And then we'll see if another bully arises and takes over. I, for some reason, I have very strong doubts on it because Russia has always stuck to its sphere of influence and China has always stuck to its sphere of influence. We're the only country in the world, along with Great Britain, that has gone into this world global sphere of influence where we assume we can run the globe. Very dangerous, very dangerous. We have to modify this behavior. And so I don't think we're gonna lose the CIA ever. Hopefully we'd lose a covert part of it, but still it's gonna be there and the military is gonna be there. And we have, to, we have to understand that people want security, but it's the degree of security. Uh, when uh, there was a great scene in Terry Malick's movie, uh, I love that movie, uh, Tree of Life. He's showing the early inhabitants of Earth and there's dinosaurs and all kinds of monsters. And you see a little dinosaur and he's running from the big dinosaur and the big dinosaur catches him. So, you know, you assume he's going to eat him. And the big dinosaur puts its claw-webbed claw foot on top of the little dinosaur and looks down at it and makes a bunch of noise. You think he's going to eat him and then... He lifts his claw and he lets him go. And it was the first time, it was like saying, this is where mercy began. This is where human beings have to work together. We have to understand there's a human element here that we have to cooperate with each other. JFK's assassination led to unimaginable suffering and mass death around yeah. the world. Indonesia, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, Brazil, the list goes on and on. This is a very grim history, not only in American yeah. history, but world history, Oliver. What would you tell people from the younger generation today who have no concept of this history, who don't understand who JFK really was? What do you want to leave them with in well, 2022 as the U.S. empire is on this irreversible trajectory? I know. Obviously, it's clear now what's happened. When we were young, or when I was young, uh, well, I felt the same way that there was hope in the world and idealism. You know, it was going to be a better world, and it looked like it was going to be. Even with the Vietnam War, after that thing, we thought we were going to, the 70s and the 80s were, 90s were, it didn't work out that way, and we couldn't control it. We couldn't fight it, because a lot of people in our generation went the other way. They started to believe all this, well, we have to be stronger than them, and we have to, be, we have to kick ass first, because we're going to have our ass kicked, the bully argument. A lot of people went into that, and, and there was no real president alternative, if you think about it. After Kennedy, no one was talking about peace. So I think things got controlled, taken over. I think that the, the manipulators behind the scenes, the, the CIAs of the world, they, they understood the way the world worked, and they put their, they took over, in a sense. When Kennedy was killed, the military and the intelligence agencies took over secretly, covertly. And they run, or a part of the government, they, they have the most important part. No president can go against them. No president can go against them. Kennedy tried, and de Gaulle actually tried, and he succeeded. He was one of the few who succeeded. They tried to kill him several times. He succeeded. But they eventually, 
they move in. And the NATOs of the world, they move in. That's what's scary. The whole world has been uh, corporatized in that sense of militarily. Now, uh, it's going to become dangerous, more dangerous. And as a young people in the future, you're not going to have a future if you let this happen. Uh, how do you stop it? You have to stop. I mean, we're doing a lot of good things, making us aware of the environment, and the environment's going to close us down, perhaps. Uh, maybe these, they will make ch changes will happen. They always do. And you know, when you think things are going the world, never, never change is when things happen. I thought many times that the Soviets and us would go to war. And all of a sudden, Gorbachev came into power, right? And that was a wonderful moment. Who was this guy? We didn't know him, but I, he seemed like a nice guy. He had a smile on his face. He was a different kind of Soviet leader. And sure enough, the Soviet Union changed. They said, okay, we're not going to fight you anymore. That's really what happened. That's really what happened. And Gorbachev was a hope in the world. I can't tell you how strong that was. And we all felt it, those of us who were sensitive to it. It was a great time, 90s. And then in the, we went to war right away after Gorbachev. Bush went to war with, uh, the first Bush went to war with Iraq uh, on that ridiculous Kuwait war, which was again another provocation that we created. We attacked Noriega right after we made the agreement with Gorbachev. Noriega was uh, you know, sovereign president of a country. We went right in, snatched him and pulled him out, saying we're laying down the laws. The United States is, can intervene anywhere it wants, can, can break any treaty it wants, like with the Indians, and uh, just do what it wants. There's no law. We talk about law, but we, we, don't, we don't really respect it. And, and Bush, when he went into, the second Bush, when he went into Iraq, same thing, oh, fuck the lawyers. We're just gonna go ahead and do it. We need to change that mentality, Oliver. It's a mentality, yeah. But those guys get elected. Tough guys. So, but I, don't give up because things changed. As I said, in the 80s, I was in the 70s coming off Carter. It looked bad. Reagan was making war, war noises. It looked bad. And all of a sudden, Gorbachev. So sometimes there's a twist of fate. You know, uh, the wheel turns differently. That's what I'm hoping for. Something happens that you don't expect.